Turning water to wine at the wedding at Cana is described as the first of Jesus' signs. Through many such epiphanies, Jesus reveals that he bears God's creative power and joyful presence into the world. Today's gospel comes from John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw out some and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of our Lord. As I've said, most of this year will be spent reading Luke, but today we have a portion from John. I don't know why the people in charge of constructing the lectionary decided to interrupt Luke's narrative to give us this fragment from John, but they did, so here we are. Now there's an interesting difference between the early chapters of Luke and John. Remember how Luke spends the first couple of chapters going back and forth between the nativity stories of John the baptizer and Jesus, naming their mothers Elizabeth and Mary, making these women central characters with voice and some agency while the men, the father's husbands, Zachariah and Joseph, are silent? John's writer does not care about these things. In the beginning was a lot of circular and run-on sentence speak about the word and the light, Jesus, and John the baptizer was not the light but came to testify to the light. These two men, John the baptizer and Jesus, still exist in relationship to one another, but their mothers... In fact, in John's gospel, Jesus' mother is never named. She is simply the mother of Jesus. For John's writer, the mother and son relationship is not as important. It's the God the Father and Jesus the Son relationship, which John's writer continually emphasizes and uplifts. And again, while Luke's writer portrays Jesus' as typically sympathetic to women, not saying Jesus was a feminist or anything like that, just that Luke's Jesus is typically nicer to women than some of our other gospel writers portray Jesus. John's Jesus here is a bit dismissive or discourteous. Woman, what's the wine shortage to do with you or me? Woman, mind your own business. I like that though unnamed, Jesus' mom persists. She is undeterred as she goes to the servants and tells them to do whatever her son tells them. 
which is maybe a bit rude and presumptuous on her part, telling another person's staff to follow the orders of yet a third person. But I don't know the cultural norms of the situation, so maybe it was okay. Uh, whatever. The servants listened to her, they listened to him, and he listened to her. So now we have this story about a miracle containing numerous allusions to Jesus' life, his coming, death, and resurrection, and an example of ultimate trust without comprehension. The miracle, obviously water into wine, large jars which had previously been filled with water for the guests to wash their hands, very important to wash your hands before eating, and then also be ritually clean before the banquet, are now filled again with water and taken to the wedding planner and discovered to be filled with wine of a very good quality. And we get some of those allusions, which are also major themes of John's gospel. The third day, Jesus will rise from the dead on the third day. It's a pretty obvious one. The wedding feast refers to the messianic banquet, a feast at the end of time. I refer you to Isaiah 25, 6 for that. The hour, John says the hour lots of times. And we're talking about the hour of Jesus's death and glorification, also refers to the time when Jesus's true significance will be revealed to all of humankind. Then we get signs. This is the first of many signs by Jesus. And that kind of suggests that John's writer might have had a signs source from which to draw, like each of our gospel writers who were writing their gospels two to three generations after Jesus um, had some source material for writing what they wrote. And we get the bridegroom, that's another major image, because Jesus is the eschatological bridegroom. Anybody here, not you Jim, know what eschatological is about? Yeah, eschatological is a very fancy word referring to that area of theological study concerned with the final events of history, the end times, and the ultimate destiny of humanity. It's very heady stuff that clearly theology, theologians built in. Basically, we will be united with Christ at the end time like two people united in marriage. And then we get to trusting without comprehension. The mother of Jesus didn't necessarily know what Jesus could do, but nonetheless, she trusted he could do something. The servants just did as they were told, trusting the guest who said, do what he says, and then trusting that other guest who told them what to do. And then they knew the what, water into wine, but not the how, because as you know, wine actually requires fruit and yeast and time to ferment, and none of that happened with the jugs of water. And the disciples who were with him, they were already following him as a student, but now they believed without really understanding what they too had just witnessed. How often do we trust what we do not understand? Like, I don't understand all the science behind vaccines or medications, or really much of it at all. But I trust the processes, the many, many, many hours that go into a researcher's education and training, the levels of testing and trials that happen before a drug goes to market. I don't comprehend biochemistry. But I trust the ongoing work of it, 
and the gifts of curiosity and discipline given by God to medical researchers that is turned into new knowledge and shared with us. How often in our lives do we witness the work of God but fail to comprehend what is before us? Like a rainbow. We know that it is, and I am taking this directly from Wikipedia, a meteorological phenomenon that is caused by reflection, refraction, and dispersion of light and water droplets resulting in a spectrum of light appearing in the sky, taking the form of a multicolored circular arc. But do we really comprehend how light, which is both wave and particle, can do this? Or do we trust that it happens, admiring its beauty and trusting that holy creation is beyond human comprehension? At the wedding banquet in Cana, there were many witnesses to the first sign of Jesus's revealed glory, and they believed in him, while they didn't understand what they had seen. And daily we witness miraculous things that we do not understand. Do we tend to attribute them to divine action and let our trust in God deepen? Or do we ignore the wonder all around us and let it blend into the mundane? I think today we are called to be like the mother of Jesus, the servants at the wedding and the disciples. We are called ultimately to trust the revealed glory of God, even, especially, when we don't comprehend the splendor around us. Amen. <laughs>